This is a Culture Inject production. Welcome back to the latest episode of the Nevers Podcast. I'm Tyg, and you cannot prove that I'm not a disembodied brain floating in a jar. Today, I have the pleasure of being accompanied by the unstoppable duo of intellect and banter, Shirag and Tanisha. Welcome. Hey. Thanks for joining me again. Hello, hello. Today, we are discussing episode 10. All right, okay, you win. Before we get started, make sure to head over to Apple Podcasts and give us a rating and review. Don't forget to follow us on social media for updates. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at HBO The Nevers, and on Twitter at at HBO The Nevers and at The Nevers Podcast P-O-D-C-S-T If you have any thoughts or questions shoot us an email at theneverspodcast at gmail.com We always love to hear from our listeners So uh, here's a brief recap of the previous episode So we had Augustus trying to rescue Lavinia who's buried under rubble while Amalia and Penance got separated, uh, Amalia follows a string of lights inside the walls and finds Lucy barely alive, who tells her the alien sang to her before dying. Malady has visions of the alien crawling through the tunnels and makes Haig dig a deeper hole. When Amalia and Penance's trek through the t- tunnels is interrupted by Malady, Amalia deduces that Malady can find the alien. They fight until they see the alien swimming around in a pool and both swim after it, and the episode ends with the alien overtaking them via a glowing light. In this week's episode, we learn that Horatio's son is also touched and warns us of a puppet man. Augie and Adair share a kiss while the orange energy uses Adair's drone camera to locate the Galanthi. Malady returns to her old home and total douchebag husband. Lavinia makes it home for a charity luncheon while Augie is about to announce both his ownership of the house and that he is one of the touched. But he's interrupted by Dr. Edmund Haig and Adair leaves with him. Lavinia has Augie taken away, Myrtle leaves the orphanage and Horatio kills someone after they take an issue with him at a purist bar. Sarah kills her abusive husband, Hugo and Mundy find spikes growing out of Lily's head and True meets her future self, Zephyr Naveen, in a bar. Quick general thoughts that aren't, holy shit, so much happened in that episode. <laughs> well, first of all, I don't appreciate you guys slandering Sarah's husband. I think he's a swell guy. Oh, amazing. Fabulous. <laughs> no, no, yeah, he sucks. No, sorry, yeah. can't do it. I can't even <laughs> pretend he's not a total tool. I really tried, but I can't help it. What a horrible bastard. Yeah. He's in one episode, and he's already my least favorite character in the series. I'm not gonna lie, he surprised me so fast. It was a good episode. A lot happened. I was just like, oh my goodness, we're really getting into the nitty gritty of this episode for sure. But it was it was an interesting one. Yeah, it was enjoyable. I I have a couple of non quick thoughts that I don't I don't I didn't really know how to shove it in elsewhere. So I figure I, I could just front load it and then, you know, the chips will fall where they will. But I wanted to mention um a common theme that I, I noticed in this one, I felt like this whole one, the, this entire episode was really about gaslighting. And if you guys want to chime yeah. in at any point and contribute, 
Uh, I just wanted to mention a couple of instances of it that I noticed. Um, uh, so I feel like ev- almost every character in this one is is a terrible person pretending they're not terrible in some kind of way and make making us feel crazy. And I, I think that I, bit, yeah. I think that's a perfect way to describe what happens to Sarah's character, uh, uh, otherwise known as Malady. Because she literally goes into a psych ward and gets diagnosed by a patriarchal system as crazy because her husband gaslights her into craziness. Like, he makes her feel crazy by pretending he loves her. Uh, and, like, he's like, oh, I'm so glad you're back. Clearly he's not. Um, so, like, that's the foundational example I have. But also the the case of Horatio gaslighting his wife by pretending to be a good father and a loyal husband and a healer but he's really not like he's a bad father he's a cheater and he uses his powers in this episode not to heal but to kill in self-defense in self-defense you had me with the first comparison i think you're being a little mean on horatio there like she literally says hey why are you doing this your son can you stop yourself dreaming like no that's not how dreams work Right, right. You're literally asking for the moon here. Okay, I'm not calling... I will give you... Sorry, sorry. Go ahead, He's a cheater, though. I'll give him that. For sure. I will give you, though, with the whole gaslighting thing, the Lavinia and Augie. For sure. There's some gaslighting going around there. But real quick on Horatio, I'm not saying he's a bad guy, uh, uh, even though I did kind of say that earlier. I I, I think that he's not bad, but he's duplicitous. He's deceptive. Clearly, right? Yeah, and yeah. and he's 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 kind of uh, he's concealing what he's truly capable of and what he truly feels from the world. And I think even though he kills that guy in self defense, I think that we didn't realize his healing powers were capable of murdering. And and counterpoint, I don't think he realized his powers were capable of murdering until that point. No, he, I he was. Think- shocked i know i think he knows i think he knows because there's that scene with bonfire annie where she says use your powers the way they're meant to be used when he judges her for teaching the orphanage self-defense so i think something may have happened where he knows what his powers can do and has decided that he's only going to use it for healing until this scene because Bonfire, I think, knows more than she's saying. And she kind of hinted it in this episode or last episode. I'm getting the two confused a little bit. But I think this is the first time that we've actually seen him use it. But I'm pretty sure it's it's probably happened before. And if anything, we'd, we'd get a flashback about it. Yeah, that's a great that's a great point. Uh, I, I would split the difference there because I, I feel like he does know and he doesn't know. And I think that's kind of what the dreams are about. Because a lot of what he's being deceptive about is in his dreams. It's in his subconscious. He's not, I mean, he is conscious of it somewhere, but he's not really conscious of his own kind of darkness, which is all of that violence, all of that infidelity and all that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, I, 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 and I, I won't talk too long. I'm sorry, but I, I just have a couple more examples. I'll get to the Augie and Lavinia thing because I think Lavinia is definitely gaslighting Augie by pretending nothing bad happened and that she suddenly likes him and Penance together when we know that's a lie. 
And then uh, I also wanted to mention the puppet man. I feel like that is also an instance of uh, he is like he's gaslighting the world that he's an innocent entertainer when we really know that he's murderous. And then I guess these are like small trivial examples, but Hugo Swan kind of gaslights that servant lady at Masson's house uh, by pretending he's distressed about his father's death. Maybe do again. again, again. I would. I would would call you on that one. I think he initially went in like, "Oh, I'm going to distract this lady who he's obviously got a he's got a prior relationship with her." So he's like, "Yeah, I'll just distract her." And then it felt a little bit like the lie kind of became a truth about halfway through because, like, he was he was getting all this off, off his chest. And I think a lot of the things he said there were just things he's wanted to say possibly to other people and didn't quite... I was expecting a full-on breakdown towards the end of that scene when he was, like, kind of really realised what it was he was saying and what he actually felt. But then, obviously, the, the scene took a different route, but more on that later. You know what, Tig? Yeah, I, I have a distinct suspicion he was almost gaslighting himself, if anyone, in that scene. I, I just wanted to highlight something you just said. Scratch everything I just said. I, I think the running <laughs> the running theme is a, a lie becoming a truth. Is that what you said? Oh, yeah, no. That, yeah, that's... I think that's what it is. Yeah. I, yeah. Like Augie's lie to himself. That's right. Indeed. And I think another lie, which will soon turn out, which which isn't a truth just yet, but I think will be at some point. We were warned of the puppet man and then shown this puppeteer in the Punch and Judy show that we assumed was the puppet man. But I, I think that's a fake out. I think that they're playing with us. And I think the actual puppet man is um, Dr. Haig. Not because he's controlling people, because he's being controlled. He is literally a puppet man. He is being controlled by a third party. Like that's the mum voice. Yeah. And I think he is going to. Like he is clearly building to some serious shiz. For a second, I thought you were going to say the little girl, and I was going to be like, okay, yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. And it's although it, maybe it's funny because you can even think of that underground a factory of the touched people who all got lobotomized as a kind of puppet factory because they've all, they're all being controlled uh, through mm-hmm. their brains. I mean, he did make those sort of zombie robots, what are they called? The shock troopers. They're kind of puppets, but I think that's stretching the point a little bit too far there. <laughs> okay. So does anybody else have any non quick thoughts? None that don't fit into the discussion of the episode. Now that we've already sort of started our discussion, let's, really dig in and go scene by scene and get it all sorted. Jumping back to our first topic of conversation, Horatio Cousins and his magical son. So Cousins discovered that his son's unique ability is that he can draw his... He can see people's dreams and then he kind of draws them and they're semi-prophetic, which is always a terrifying power whenever it comes up. The significance of the drawing depicts a mysterious puppet man and the other drawing he does which i'm not entirely sure the child understood is of horatio cheating on his wife with amalia um that leads to some interesting conversations what did you guys think of that i think it's interesting that um horatio's kid is also touched because it makes me wonder if there's like a biological link between those who were touched and like their kids and things like that i know lord mason his daughter is touched but like we don't really know who her mother is and all that and then um with Horatio being touched and then conveniently his son like that's very 
interesting to me, um, especially with his abilities. I always wondered when I watched that episode and he was explaining how he cannot control it and that he can see everyone's dreams. I wondered what like the range was like for who he whose dreams he could see or if it was like everyone's or if it's how Amalia's visions are specific to what the Galanti sends to her. So like she can see specific things to be like, okay, Malady's coming to get the Galanti and those are what her visions are focused on mostly or when it was like to find the Galanti, she saw like the door. Now I wonder with Horatio's son, if he sees specific things that are like, here's a warning of what the purists are going to do to the rest of the touch, keep an eye out, prepare the rest of the orphanage kind of thing. My mind went down a very similar path. I was wondering if since Amalia has kind of gone off the deep end and become somewhat unreliable, I was wondering if they were like, all right, she is clearly like a burned asset. Who else do we have that we can possibly... I'm wondering if they were like, once the Galanti realised that Amalia was kind of a done for, if they're like, all right, how about if we start sending our messages to this kid? He's got a similar power that we could utilise in that way. And I, I go, they're now sending him the important updates so he can prepare everyone because their previous subject was somewhat useless. Yeah. Weirdly enough, him, Amalia, and Malady kind of all have similar touched abilities because they all see things and be warned of things. Like Malady, this episode and episode nine was probably the first time we could see Malady actually use her touched abilities with her connection to the Galanti and she we can see that she can physically feel the Galanti and see through its eyes to some degree and then Amalia just gets flashed visions of what the Galanti can see and now this little boy can actually see what's potentially going to happen or what people want to happen in their dreams at least. Dreams are not truth though right? Dreams are generally like wish fulfillment. So I'm wondering if he just has an insight into the character of people as opposed to a predictive power. Which would which would kind of tie in with my theory that uh, the puppet man that we met, like the Punch and Judy guy, actually isn't the puppet master that we were seeing in the visions because that actually was his only prophetic picture, if I recall. The others were mostly to do with things that had kind of had already happened and were being dreamt about. Do you think um, you think Horatio's wife knows about? Oh, for sure. Everything for sure. She, she, she hinted it when she said, "What did she say?" She said something like, "Things a boy should not see, things a boy does not understand," and that could be like the violence of everything. But he's he's seen the violence himself, like with what's happened to his house. But, like, when it comes to the coupling of him and this random white lady that he barely knows, (laughs) that's probably um, something that he does not understand at all as a young child. Which is interesting to the fact that she is still with him, regardless of knowing everything. And the fact, I mean, she spent the entire episode being like, You've been a neglectful father, you're distant, blah, 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 blah. And it's your duty as his father to fix these issues that he's having. But at the same time, she could have left ages ago. I mean, you'll know, she says, 
you're being a bad father, you need to do this, this and this to be a better father. She absolutely did not mention it and did not at any point refer to him as her husband. Like, she is, she, she seemed a little bit, she was like, dude, like, obviously me and you, brick wall, but you still have a chance to salvage the relationship with your kid. And obviously she, she has nowhere to go right now, so she can't actually just pack up her bags and leave. Especially if her kid is now drawing, you know, touched stuff. But yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if she, if she had anywhere else to go, if she went there immediately. Yeah, and if you look back at her interaction with Amalia in episode seven, it's it's kind of like a- amiable and genial and friendly. It's it, she doesn't seem to take it personally that her husband is not loyal to her. I think she, I think she's I think she's a very interesting character, and I felt kind of like the fact that Horatio was getting angry at her. I, I felt I was like uh, annoyed. Um, about that character choice. I don't understand what ammunition he has to get angry at her. Oh, for not telling him about his son? About the drawings, yeah. Mm. You, you should be more involved in your son's life if you're going to be angry about not knowing yeah. about it. You yeah. Know? I mean, if you'd spent time with your kid, you would have sent them to yourself. So. I think uh. he was, I think maybe he was mostly mad that he got caught, to be honest. <laughs> like, indirectly yeah. got caught by his own son, no less. So it's like, yeah, <laughs> you should have told me he had these drawings and could see my dreams and maybe I could have hit a couple things. <laughs> Can you imagine like that awkward conversation with when your son draws your affairs? <laughs> Don't show this to mommy. <laughs> We're not putting this one on the refrigerator. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my goodness. Okay, so um, another plot point for up for discussion. Hugo's revelation and Mundy's revelation. So Hugo gets an unexpected visit uh, from Mundy and um, they kind of begin to share an objective, which is to uh, get get back at Masson. And Mundy reveals that Masson was involved in the death of Mary. Mundy so what do you guys think about that? Mundy and um, Hugo's relationship is just very I mean, yeah. interesting. Cool. Every time the two of them are on screen together, it's like, it's so weird what their, like, their relationship is. Because, like, clearly they've had, like, a romantic relationship in the past and Mundy is still, like, in the closet and all that. But, like, at the end of the day, Hugo would still, you know, he's trying to prove that he's not part of the life that his father was in and he's not part of the life that Lord Mason is in. So of course he's going to join forces with Mundy, even as a distraction with his father's death to figure out what Lord Mason has done. But at the same time, I I just can't, (laughs) they're, they're back and forth. Like their relationship is just so weird to see on screen for me. It's, (laughs) I can't like put it together. The two of them. But it's it's interesting. It's interesting. So you have this rugged man, and then Hugo. <laughs> I, this this uh, this is this might be um, uh, a reference that not too many people will connect. Uh, obviously, but their relationship reminds me of the the relationship between Cordelia and Xander at the beginning seasons of yeah. Buffy, yeah. because they they kind yeah, of kind of say that pretend to hate each other. But you know that he, you know he really loves that 
like you know there's something deeper underneath it i mean the chemistry between the two characters is undeniable like it's it's such a weird relationship but when you see so many kind of traditional in heavy air quotes relationships in this show that are just crashing and burning with every second and then you have these two such opposite characters and it's like i mean if it works maybe we should just let it play out like i mean yeah it's a it's a bit of an odd pairing but can't fault the chemistry and they're, they're two of the better they're two of the better actors in the show so anytime we get to see the, the pair of them just like really cut loose i'm totally fine with that how do you think how do you think hugo took finding out about mason's involvement with mary because I, I i would consider mason to be like hugo's second father kind of since his closeness with his last father and the fact that Mason has literally been pushing Hugo for the last season and a half to be like a better man that his his father should be worthy of or whatever. So now that Mason is now seen as this this villain in what's happened to Mary, it's interesting to see like Hugo's reaction to that and everyone's reaction, honestly, that Mason could be this bad guy. Yeah, Mason does kind of represent uh, Hugo's father and as much as revealed in the conversation between Hugo and that and that lady and she's like you know fathers make mistakes and um, like Mason is always talking about Hugo being a bad child uh, to a good man when really the reverse is true and that's the revelation that Hugo finds when he opens that door and sees his daughter and which you know kind of tying it back to what Tyg had said it's kind of um a lie uh becoming truth the lie that his daughter is dead uh the truth is revealed and that lie is kind of exposed um you can stop me from talking i'm going to <laughs> <laughs> if you insist but no, um, I had something really uh, interesting and appropriate to say but it's completely left my mind oh while you think of that while you think of that I did have one more thing to say about um, Amundi and Hugo and, and the Mary thing I, I like the idea that because he, uh, because Mundi and Mary were in a kind of heterosexual relationship that wasn't really working out because Mundi is gay I like the idea that Mary is kind of indirectly uniting Mundy and Hugo uh, in the pursuit of her, uh, in, in the pursuit of the plot of her murder. It feels like she's matchmaking from beyond, in a way. Yeah. Because didn't they, like, didn't they break up because she was like, I want you to find your true self or whatever. And he exactly. just, he couldn't, <laughs> he couldn't take that. I really wish we could have seen a little bit more of Mundy and Mary's relationship. Because it feels like it's a very, it's a pretty key relationship for him and for this whole arc he's going on. But they had about 10 minutes of screen time. So we really didn't get a chance to see kind of who they were as a couple. Because it makes clear that Mundy does have feelings for, like there, there is an emotional bond there with him and Mary. But the question is, like, does it go 
did it did it ever really go beyond that or was he just kind of walking in a path that he thought he was meant to take which is another reason why him and hugo are such perfect partners because hugo is essentially doing the exact opposite he's intentionally trying to subvert the path he was meant to take i think that's why the pair of them are so drawn to each other because they're like opposite ends of the magnet I mean, speaking with other identity revelations, we have Malady's encounter and her identity revelation. Malady with sneaking into her old apartment and the encounter with Sarah's husband and then the shocking revelation of Sarah's identity and the subsequent disturbing incident. A lot went down in that house. (laughs) Yeah. I I will say... I will say, like, it, it's it's been so easy for however long we've been watching this show to root against Malady and her aggression and her violence and her bruteness. And we've, like, at least in my case, I've always just wanted her to go away as much as I love her really? character. Um, yeah, because she just kind of shows up and beats up our protagonists and kidnaps Mary. And, you know, she she's she's been the villain of the show and we and we're she's designed for us to understand her but also want her to lose but i think in this episode seeing the sarah side it's an interesting reversal where now i kind of found myself rooting for malady to come back like now we understand why malady is needed can i say that scene when she like she comes out of the water was so beautiful for me Because when she's in the water, or like when she first gets into the water, we see her as that character of Malady, and she has like all that stuff in her face, and her hair is a mess, and she just looks like the character Malady. And then when she comes out, she really does look like Sarah. And then she's walking throughout the streets, and she just looks so confused. And for a second, I thought Sarah really did come back. So when she, when she's interacting with her with her husband and and we see his his true character and her eyes start glowing with like the pain that she inflicts on herself and she slowly starts coming back into herself and that character of malady i thought that was done so smoothly this episode and it was it was really good to watch agreed on every count but two interesting points that kind of go alongside of that it actually took me a second when she first came out of the water. I was like, wait, who is that? Because I just, I didn't recognize her without the whole kind of malady persona. And then, yeah, she had a brilliant sequence of her walking through and kind of getting to the house. And the, the part where she's like poking her face and looking in the mirror. So, so brilliantly done. And I think an excellent performance from malady in that particular scene. But I have a bit of a pet theory that ties in with my theory from previous podcasts where we were saying about how i think she's got like a traveler living in her head i think for the start of this episode that was sarah i think her initial persona kind of came back and she was completely spaced out because she you know, she'd been fighting this kind of split personality for however long and she kind of she was back in complete control of herself and so she kind of her brain switched off because she didn't really know how to cope with the situation she found herself in so her feet just kind of automatically you know when you're you've you've had a few and you're walking home and you're like oh how'd i get home like i think her brain just switched off she started walking and found herself back home went inside ran into her husband who is a colossal tool bag he started doing his usual tool shit 
and that's when the, her brain was like all right you know the the host's in danger time to activate the malady protocols and she came back and did what she did and speaking of her tour bag husband i just i don't know why was his line that made me crack up in the worst possible way when he's talking he's like oh i was so sad and like you were you were so you were just so unreasonably sad all the time and i tried everything to cheer you up and it didn't work and i'm like yeah how much do you want to bet his try everything to cheer her up was beat her drink loads not talk to her probably like sexually assault her like i i everything about his character was like oh i tried my best to make you happy by which he means i tried my best to make me happy and hope that would make you happy too when she when she finds the documents that he basically like sold her over and like because i was trying to like pause the screen and read it and it was basically that he was getting compensation for basically selling her to dr haig and dr haig is really what made malady to be honest, because that's like her protective mechanism against him and how she broke in those two years that he had her. So I think it, I thought it was so sad to see because I remember in season one when we were getting the flashbacks of Sarah to begin with and she's in the institution with um, Amalia, she was so happy to marry her husband like when they were talking in the in, in the institute and she was talking about how he was going to take her away and that everything was going to be different and that she was healed and it was fine and then she had that interaction with Haig but we thought that like I thought at least that that had just like continued from there but instead she had got to go with her husband continue that fantasy and then had her husband turn on her and basically sell her off to Haig in the end this this demon figure that's created the version of her and it's it's so funny when he first like um when her husband and him like first get together he's like looking her over and he looks at her teeth and he's like those are gonna have to go and we're gonna have to fix this and you're gonna have to change your clothes and i was like wow he really just was like so controlling of her entire being and sarah at the time probably just didn't even realize that and did exactly what we saw when she would she would feed him and she would do anything to make him happy and he that didn't matter to him if she made a mistake or something that whole scene with the dinner and the plate drop was just so messed up on so many levels brilliantly played scene but very very hard to watch next up we have tension and revelations at bidlow manor Augie takes charge of Lavinia's fundraiser and shares an unexpected kiss. The uh, unnoticed activation of Penance's weird gadget thing and the apparatus and drones and whatnot, and a mysterious phone call to Haig and the involvement and a mysterious phone call to Haig and the involvement of a mystery voice. Yeah, that was the whole uh, sort of Augie Lavinia arc this episode was particularly crazy but I <laughs> there was a lot of times I was like Augie won yeah. Lavinia zero <laughs> it was so good well, so is his mother like an electric ghost like I don't understand what those orange like uh, currents were I'm still operating under the theory that she's a future voice and she's the, the orange blasts or whatever they are are her kind of taking control of machines from the future can we can we talk about really quick the the csi like level drone 
droning <laughs> camera. That yeah. I, I I mean I can believe I can believe in shock troopers and and mutated superpowers, but there's no I I just can't believe that exists or could ever. You don't believe that Penance could make a drone to look over the city and find a Molly. There's no way. That's her entire trouble. She has to be able to do something like that. There's just something so ridiculous about a Victorian drone. (laughs) I kind of wish we'd seen the actual drone. Yeah. 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 I bet it would look awesome. The fact that it was in black and white, too, was just (laughs) good stuff. I think like it's those little touches that you, you see it like yeah on the whole the kind of effects and everything are pretty good but like you see the kind of thing like it doesn't quite work but that, there was something about the way the kind of the drone was set up that was just everything about it was perfect like each it looks like kind of an old daguerreotype like each picture was like a dodgy old black and white slightly grainy photo but then it would like flick to the next one. And it, almost if she was scrolling through a gallery, but it was uh, like flying a drone around. It was just so brilliantly absurd. I loved it. I think when it comes to like the um, like the CGI aspects of of the show, I liked that. So I like that they used they used what we knew uh, to like connect the whole telephone thing. So they used how we see penance see like the electricity move around and and that's how she was able to see the telephones to begin with we're able to see that again to why they're able how we were able to turn back on the machines to pinpoint where the galanthi is so it was like although we wouldn't have noticed like if they didn't use like the lighting the way that they did we wouldn't have noticed like it turn on but we got to experience penances troubled and how how the galanthi was able to do it and and pinpoint where it is from like an outer body experience now when it comes to how hig was able to get his little phone call still confused about it i know it i know it is i know it is somebody from the future it has to be because it's not malady anymore it's it's somebody else but like how do they know where Haig is at every point that was that, the like, like he's just, just yeah. walking by the street and they were like telephone call for you is it, is it, is it? that was such a great <laughs> scene so weird myrtle's departure and bonfire annie's discovery so we have myrtle's emotional departure from the orphanage and we have bonfire annie learning about the bill in Congress that's about to forbid all of the touch from gathering and the implications of the bill. So what do you guys think about that? Myrtle's Myrtle's story. It's it's very interesting because in the beginning of the episode or mid episode we see Myrtle like really upset about what Amalia has done, her disappearance, her lack of leadership, and then Bonfire tries to talk to her and that doesn't work out. And so she decides to leave again. So it's it's kind of like another Myrtle's day out, but this time indefinitely. And I I think it was it was very, it was very weird that for her to come back into the world again after what has happened was to hold hands with a Malady character and start dancing in the streets. Like that's like the last time we see see Myrtle in this this episode. 
which is very uh, interesting compared to, to like what we've been thinking of what Myrtle's like future arc is going to be and how she needs guidance and, and a mother and, you know, who's going to be her her leader going forward. And then now we have her in this frolicking in the streets. Like, I I don't understand what's going on with Myrtle. And we only have two more episodes to figure out what's going to happen with Myrtle. So I'm I'm very interested to see how they're going to take that. Yeah. I think it's kind of hard for us to work out what they're doing with Myrtle because the writers don't seem to know what they're doing with Myrtle. It's, It's like... Generally, the story arcs in this back half have been fairly kind of delineated. It's quite there. There's clear parts of where everyone's going, and then there's Myrtle, which I suppose is fairly appropriate considering her whole thing is inability to communicate. But I mean, like you said, it's just we get kind of a redux of her previous plot points, but now she's off dancing with the the maladies what is going on here why what is any of it and like the her tearful goodbye with uh primrose i believe her name the giantess it's like it wasn't really particularly emotional because we haven't really had any time to get to know either of these characters it's like i'm sure this would be really sad if we gave a damn about either of them but i mean i barely care about myrtle because she's quite interesting and i have literally zero care for primrose so it, it kind of robs the scene of any plus the cgi was really dodgy in that scene so it just makes the whole thing seem a little like they just needed five minutes of filler so they gave us a tearful goodbye that we don't care about can i say something i have a nitpicky grievance about that particular scene i i think and i don't remember exactly what it was but i think primrose kind of like asks uh why can't you stay and then the camera cuts to Myrtle and she goes on like a like a 40 second foreign language monologue. I just feel yeah. like I just feel like that would have been so much better if she just didn't say anything and Primrose and just, just understood from the silence that you can't stay. I don't know why they yeah. have to they they don't use that very they haven't used her powers very well just narratively and you know just like you were saying tag it's understanding myrtle as a character is literally like trying to understand a foreign language it, it doesn't really make sense to me what she's doing or where she's going it's crazy that we've just had such like back and forth with myrtle specifically how because this second half of the season is the most we've ever learned or been part of Myrtle's life, like, since the start of The Nevers. So now it's like, what is her focus? Like, what is the reason that we keep going back to Myrtle? We've had her connection with the Galanti. Uh, The first moment we were able to, like, see her speak English and, like, understand her. And now, yeah, she's growing. Like, is it supposed to be, like, she's going through a pubescent, like, adult phase? Like, I I don't understand with her character, to be honest. And rebellious teenage years exactly and then <laughs> and then we have the whole like i get her leaving because she she feels like she's not understood bonfire annie is not the leader she wants amalia isn't the leader she can get and so she decides to leave again but you would think that she would want to stay seeing as the last time she left 
she killed someone. And so mm-hmm. it's very interesting that she would leave again and then fall into the hands of like a fake malady or specifically now when it's the orphanage against the purest. Why why is this the time that we're leaving? I, I it just didn't make sense to me. Her, her yep. leaving the orphanage at this time. And then now that we have the whole bill that's supposed to mm. supposedly separate the the touched from ever unifying together, um, that that was an interesting take because that's that's their whole thing was the orphanage and them being together and them presenting as a united front against the purists and against the city as a whole and and now this bill might actually go through with the help of Lavinia no less um that would suck yeah I they're gonna have to they were already gonna have to fight an army of mercenaries and it looks like now they're gonna have to fight like an army of lawyers and also the government so it's all kind of we're kind of heading into the the darkest um what is it called the, the darkest, darkest part of timeline. Story. Yeah, the darkest timeline. <laughs> but I think it was particularly annoying having the whole kind of Myrtle nonsense in counterpoint to Bonfire Annie, who has gone on the path we expected her to, where she's kind of becoming the de facto leader of the Touch and is kind of rallying the troops and seemingly doing a pretty good job of it. Like, I would much rather have seen an arc of those two kind of growing closer and Myrtle realising that... Annie is actually kind of the one she needs to be paying attention to because she's a much more capable leader than Amalia was, but we didn't get that. Or if if her not choosing Bonfire Annie then or and not choosing Amalia, then like I don't know something ridiculous like her choosing herself at the end of that would also work. the show or something like that. But she didn't even give Bonfire really a chance this episode. Like they had that scene together where Bonfire tries to talk to her and and tell her to channel her anger into something better and more useful and great scene. She didn't she didn't really take that to heart or really acknowledge it. Instead, she kind of like tells Bonfire to like go screw herself and then leaves. So you know, it kind of makes sense now that I think of it that she ends up with the maladies because what does she have in common with Malady? They both were failed by the system that was supposed to protect and rehabilitate them. And also, it seems like this is the point in the season where all of the characters are supposed to be making the bad choices. Like, um, uh, Penance <laughs> going with Haig is clearly the bad choice to make. And, uh, you know, Augie getting abducted, that's clearly a bad choice for Lavinia to have made. So, you know, I think... All of the characters are kind R.I.P. of doing, Lucy. doing the wrong thing. Yeah, I think Lavinia is just protecting herself, though. Is it the right? If if, it, if she didn't want to push Augie over the edge, this is probably the the thing that would actually do it. But I see her motivations for why she did it. Speaking of uh, the next arc is Lavinia's manipulations and Haig's revelations, which is a very fun sentence to say. We have Lavinia's meeting with Lord Masson and the production of the promised evidence which is the shocking reveal that we, there was actually a photograph of the galanthi egg and its significance Haig's true identity revelation and the surprising decisions made by penance i have to say 
the uh this was the dinner party wasn't it yeah that whole scene was just so so good every part of that scene and every person in that scene was fantastic the bit for me that i really really enjoyed but at the same time it was a bit like here's what you could have won was augie's kind of little mini character arc throughout that whole scene because it's just a perfect counterpoints to the previous scene of sarah and her douchebag husband and it's like we're literally seeing their future augie is on the path to being that gaslighting dickhead that we've seen him grow into and like yeah it would it's like it was it's good seeing it's great to get the actor give him a chance to really flex his muscles and you know get his douchebag on these are all good things but i can't help but think if this was season one and you know they uh Augie and Penance are together and it's great. They're the adorable couple. She's smart. He's rich. Brilliant combination. They're clearly in love. Isn't that sweet? They're just being kind of nice in a corner. Then boom, he's got to take over. He's got to, he's got to run the friggin' orphanage. He's got to, you know, become who he's meant to be. And then slowly over the course of like probably the second season, we see him start to get a bit more of a dick. Like, he snaps at penance more. He becomes a lot more controlling. Because we saw in this, like, just in that one little lunch, he was like, why are you talking to that guy? Not talking to me. I'm, I'm your boyfriend. You should be paying attention to me. Like, we see a bit more of that. We see him start to really kind of, you know, th- tighten the thumbscrews. And then kind of maybe towards the end of season two or like the mid- mid-season break of season three, we get the revelation that he also used to, you know, vivisect birds. And then it's like, oh, damn, this guy's actually kind of a psychopath but by this point like him and penance are like married they've got a kid on the way like she's inextricably connected to him and now suddenly like three years in we get this revelation that he's a complete psychopath and that would that would have just been like that would have broken the internet that would have been an amazing reveal and while it was great seeing this kind of play out in microcosm around one incredibly awkward dinner it was like everyone everyone is doing their best here and they're great but it just, much like Myrtle's departure, it just lacks the weight because it feels like they've tried to put two or three seasons of character development into one dinner party. And it's just, it's kind of sad. I'm not going to lie. I liked in that scene when um, when Lavinia and Augie are literally staring each other down like daggers. And then you just have Hague coming in like, thank you so much for inviting me for the dinner. Yeah. <laughs> Agent of Chaos Hague here to mess some stuff up. Yeah. I want to know, like, what's his... I don't know if I missed it when I was watching the episode, but, like, what is his reason for going for penance first? In this, I, I, just, I couldn't get it. Like, it's, it's going to, of course, bring Amalia running after her. And it's... I, wanted, I want to know what they told him on the phone and how she's, like, the next piece of the puzzle for whatever they have setting up yeah i think she's gonna become his weapons manufacturer mm. i'm wondering if she needs if he needs her to like perfect the shock troopers so that when they then have to like enforce let's like, be real here we all know that the bill is going to pass especially now that freaking uh lavinia's on side like that bill is going to pass we're going to get our yeah, battle of the orphanage where they have to break up the orphanage and disperse all the touched and i'm wondering if there's gonna like just this army of sort of doom bots 
like Hagen's penance working together to construct this army of monstrosities, and they're just gonna charge in and be horrible. You know what? I, I wonder if they're gonna use that that song that they played a couple episodes ago, and then penance was just like she was so absorbed in the song that she couldn't even like hear Amalia, and it was just the we saw the waves of like current of electricity or whatever. I wonder if they're going to use that for her to make whatever it is that needs to be made for them to win. You know, what I I think going back to the idea of this being the turn of the Victorian age and kind of like a collapsing headfirst into the 1900s uh, and World War One and World War Two, I just, I feel like uh, the original intention with Penance was for her to be a kind of Oppenheimer like figure. I, and like, if, if you look at it in that, through that lens, the Galanthi would be maybe, I don't know, the nuclear bomb of, or, or whatever, just like plutonium. And the radioactiveness of that is what mutates everybody with the, all of these unique powers, but, it's on one hand it's hope because it can end the war and it can end all future wars because once that power is harnessed by man and woman and person kind there's never going to be nobody wants it's self-assured destruction but on the other hand it's assured destruction like it's a it's the apocalypse it's it's a it's a dystopia um it's a radioactive wasteland so I, I feel like I want, I, at least my desire was to see her accidentally invent the thing that causes the horrible future that Amalia comes from. With, with that in mind, you guys remember when we were finally getting like Zephyr's flashback of everything and when they were all inside of the the spaceship or whatever, they were scared about that bomb that was coming to like nuke them all. Mm. Like what if it's what if it's that? Like yeah. that that nuclear thing. The penance special that she makes to fully kill all of the Galanti once and for all. Oh yeah. I could definitely see that happening. And that's why her name is Penance. Because she's yeah. she's committed a sin that she needs to repent. I'm I'm still on board for evil penance. I'm I'm ready for for that arc to happen. And if it's paying, Ooh, or what if kind of a a reverse Tara situation? What if like using the you know season path I plotted out before, he gets his full kind of revelation of his evilness. She gets kind of caught up in that. Amalia rightfully kills Augie because he's a crazy. And that sets penance off and makes her go full dark side. Like, everyone's like, why are you not happy we killed your horrible husband? And she's like, he was never horrible to me. You're just <laughs> crazy and jealous. Psychopath time. Doombots. You're making done. me want to watch this show. That sounds great. <laughs> do you think for the for the bill, are, do you think that they're going to show the orb to people and be like, yeah. this is what we're fighting against. Yeah, how is that evidence that's going to make it pass? I don't understand. Like, maybe if they see it, they'll be afraid of it more. Mm. But at this point, the Galanti's already been birthed. 
So it's like, what do you have now? Lies. <laughs> yeah. One did all that horrible stuff. There's now they're laying. It's now laying eggs all over the town. There's going to be thousands more of the touched if we don't stop them now. Speaking of manipulators, Cousins, the puppeteer, and the beggar king are having their own storyline right now. So Cousins is following the puppeteer and the encounter at the bar and the confrontation with the beggar king and the display of Cousins' powers. All that happened in about five minutes span. (laughs) I had two main reactions from that scene. One, when he kind of unleashed the pain and sliced that guy up. It really reminded me, one of my all-time favourite series, and it's a show I will never stop talking about, is a series called Bleach. It's a manga. And there's a character in that called Hanataro, who is like the archetypal healer. He's completely useless in combat. Like, he, he's terrified of everyone. But his kind of, his sword's power, he just touches it to people, and it absorbs their wounds. And everyone's like, I mean, yeah, it's it's a useful power, but it's pointless in combat little do they know it when it taps the wounds it, it doesn't completely just erase them it stores it stores the damage inside itself and once the little bar on the side is filled from absorbing enough damage it like transforms and you can just tap them with it and it puts all that damage out into them i'm wondering if cousins has a similar thing where like every time he heals someone he's not just like completely removing their damage from existence he's kind of storing it all within himself which to be fair would explain his mood a little bit but that's going a little bit too far in there but he stores he stores all this damage and can then like put it out onto someone else when he feels threatened like it would be interesting to go back and see if the marks on the guy's face lined up with injuries we'd seen him heal but i mean that's just way too much work i'm just gonna assume that it does because that's more fun well, if that's the case, like his, like Amalia is infinite ammunition in his in his chamber. <laughs> exactly the amount of damage it does kind of make them the perfect couple. And then, kind of my my second uh, reaction to that scene was, I, I just fucking love the Beggar King. I'm sorry, he's such a boss. Like Cousins is fighting for his freaking life, unleashes this horrible power, and the camera just zooms out, and you just see him standing there like that'll do that'll do <laughs> and then he just wanders off like not a word said not a fuck given just yep i've got a use for that and then walks away <laughs> so good i wonder i wonder how the beggar king will use that because he he there's no reason we saw him just for him to like disappear at the end of that scene like he's either telling somebody what he saw, which doesn't seem like him, because he it has to be like a tit for tat kind of thing. Like I'll tell you what I know if you give me something, or he's going to try to use it for himself. But I also kind of try to like remember that the deal that the Beggar King still has a deal with Lord Mason. Now he has a deal with the Purist, and he still has a deal with the Orphanage. So it's like you kind of don't know which way the Beggar King's really gonna go, especially if there's like a war actually incoming. On all sides right now. I forgot he still had some kind of prior credit with the orphanage. So he really does have a, a, a dirty, grubby little finger in just about every pie in London. Which kind of makes me feel like he's going to do nothing for a very long time and then jump in on the side of the person that's winning and help them win. And then be like, yeah, I'm, I'm on your side now because you won. 
Well, if like the orphanage is like, hey, you need to help us with the purists, this is what's going to happen. So the beggar king could be like, well, I saw Horatio do this. So I will help you if you let me use him a couple times and then I'll bring him back. So that'll be, that would be something I could see happening. That is, yeah, I can see, I can see him kind of bringing Horatio to the dark side explicitly. Uh, and Mm -hmm. I think it would be really funny if the finale of this whole thing is just every character going to the dark side in their own way. And it's just, uh, everybody goes evil. (laughs) There's no more good guys left. There are no good people. It yeah, feels like no. it's going that way, to be honest. Everyone that I thought... you If you look at Augie, you're like, wow, Augie's so sweet, so nice, the nicest character. And now it's like, actually, Augie would probably kill you with like the ravens he's controlling. <laughs> There's no in-between for any character right now. They're all, they all could be evil. And if Penance really does go full Tara, then even better. Because she's, she's the second one in like the level of niceness. She's probably, like, the one you wouldn't expect if she turned evil. So if she did, then it'd be like, wow, who saw it coming? And then just for balance, because it's always hilarious when they do that, the only two characters that don't fall to the dark side are Malady and Annie Carby, who were the two that were initially kind of the sort of evil one. Obviously, uh, Malady was always kind of the antagonist, if not villain. And then Annie was kind of her second in command. If those are the only two that don't end up falling to the dark side, that would be quite hilarious. Yeah. Well, he's like, actually, this is not what I had in mind. God did not tell me this. <laughs> not all of this. That'd be funny. Let's talk about Malady's actions and her husband's fate. So she, her interaction with her husband and the unsettling turn of events, we saw that happen. And then the dramatic outcome of the encounter and its implications for Malady. So do we think that she, she went, she just goes back full steam into Maladying or does that change her? What's going on? I, I just can't shake the feeling that she was Sarah up until kind of almost that. Like even the way she was speaking was completely different up until that particular clash. And I think that she is, like Malady did kind of step in to protect her but the kind of the change is not complete. I have a feeling that episode 11 there's going to be kind of a we're going to see a lot of the internal struggle with Malady and who knows what side will win but I don't care because the husband's dead and that's all that matters. Yeah, I was I was really happy that, you know, she took him out. That, that was that was a great scene. I thought it was it was really well done because like we see her like literally stabbing herself to come back into that version of of Malady. Like she's she's using that pain to come back. And then she has enough energy to to kill him with a pillow where it makes me think that she's not fully Malady because I feel like if it was her, she would have done it a lot more brutal. Instead, she just like put a pillow over his head and then like killed him that way. So it, it would be interesting to see if she wasn't fully back and I think the next episode we might be working on her fully coming back to Malady and Amalia fully coming back to herself now that she's talking to the different versions of herself that we saw at the bar so it'd be like Amalia coming back to who Amalia is and Malady coming back truly to who she is and what their their missions are together 
Mm. You know, I agreed. I, I gotta say, like, on this point, this is probably my chief disappointment, which is that the way that she kind of dispatches her husband in this episode as Malady is great, but contrasted with how her encounter with Haig went, I just found that so underwhelming. Um, and that was Malady. That was proper Malady. And she didn't really do anything to Haig necessarily. I mean, she beat him up a little bit, but I feel, I feel like, I feel like what would have been a lot more effective is if it wasn't Malady who killed her husband, but it was Sarah. I think I wanted to see her kind of tremble. I wanted to see her kind of hold, hold that knife and, and tiptoe and, and, and feel vulnerable and weak and still do it without the Malady. And I think that would have been more effective because we already saw Malady confronting her abuser when the Hague thing happened earlier in the season. And that was, we, we, we already know what that's like. So this either feels redundant or it, it's just poor, poorly executed as, as satisfying it as it is. Uh, I don't know. I'm going to stop talking again. I mean, maybe when I watch the scene and like the more I, I, I talk about it, if you guys have watched um, Moon Knight, the, the Marvel show, it's kind of like that when, when he finds out that like this this big bad guy that's been taking over his body for so long it's actually just a coping mechanism that he's made to to like protect himself from the abuse that he's grown into so now with Malady maybe it, it was Sarah maybe it was Sarah like fully accepting Malady at that point and letting her do whatever she she wanted to do to her husband and, and get over it because there there was that scene before she was officially Malady when he mentions her name and she she drops the plate and then we get to that that whole abuse stage so like there was like a a, a connection there where she does she does know that there is like another person within her she just wanted to go back into like this little life and now that she she couldn't get the life that she wanted and, and couldn't like continue on as Sarah and realize that like, regardless, she's still going to be in a terrible situation with somebody who's going to abuse her or sell her and basically have another Hague on her life. She just decided like, Hey, let Molly take over. If she wants to kill him, she can kill him. This was a, a clearly supposed to be my life at the end of the day. So maybe we'll have like a Molly like 2.0 now, like a, a different version of her that, we didn't see before, which honestly, that actress she could she could play. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah, she could really pull it well. off. Yeah. Since there has been kind of a recurring theme, particularly with her and with Amalia, on kind of their internal conflict and their indecision about what to do next, it would be quite interesting to borrow your phrase to have them both go through these pivotal moments and have like Malady and Amalia two point zero for episode 11 and 12 like Malady has kind of essentially said goodbye to both parts like she's she's had her moment with both the people that wronged both Sarah and Malady and has been able to move past them and maybe now she will kind of the disparate parts of her personality will merge and will get a kind of more focused infinitely more terrifying Malady 
and then depending on how the start of the next episode goes with uh, Zephyr, we may get the disparate parts of Amalia having a little bit of a chin wagon setting their own path there. So, yeah, there is a very good chance that we're going to see two more focused leads in episode 11, and that can only end well for us and terribly for both of them. You know what I'm going to hate about the whole, like, Zephyr, Amalia, and whoever the third person is? Um, We're going to go back down that entire storyline about how Amalia needs to accept who she is and learn to lean on other people. and, And, like, we've already been through that before, like, in the first part of season one. So if we have to go through that again in the next two episodes, and we only have two episodes left, I'm going to be so mad. Not going to lie, because we've already done it once. And there was that whole scene with, like, her saying goodbye to Penance and, and running off. And now if it's going to be, like, this is your your place with whether you're not you're going to go home or if you're going to stay and who you really are kind of thing, like... That's going to be a waste of an episode. Yeah, they have to do something different. It has to be something bigger and more kind of... Not rewarding is probably the wrong word, but if we if we just get a retread of her sort of epiphany moment from the first half, yeah, there's, there's tables are going to be thrown at TVs. Yeah. Like, I guess, like, with, with the whole Sarah and Malady thing, like, say this was the only episode we have with, like, their growth and their version into 2.0 and then that's it. So that was, like you know, pretty cute. It was pretty short. And then it was like in and out kind of thing. And we, we could analyze that however way you want to take it, that she is going to come out the other side, a version of Sarah and a version of Malady that we didn't accept, like expect whether like darker or, you know, more forgiving, whatever. Now with like Amalia's situation, if we just like set up this entire thing, because I know for a fact, it's probably going to take up a majority of the episode like there's no way it's not going to but if it all just ends with like this is your home too because the whole like this entire time in this episode it was kind of like i don't know what my home is i don't know where my home is where i belong etc etc so if it ends with her being like this is my home and this is what i have to do for the galanti it'll just be like just like shoving a whole bunch of things in like two episodes that we already knew from like a whole season and a half ago. Hoping hoping it doesn't happen like that. Hoping she comes back. If she does come out as a Amalia 2.0, that it's like darker and stronger and like, I don't know, pushes the story better. If you had to predict the ideal ending for you of this character, what, what would you, what, like if you were the head writer, what would you create? I'd probably kill season. her off. <laughs> <laughs> well, if, if, if I didn't have a second season, I'd probably... I'd probably kill her at the end of this season. I'm not going to lie. And like either have the old Amalia come back and have Zephyr leave the body kind of situation and end it there or like have us go back to the future and have it be a brand new future that wasn't what we left the future as. Oh, uh, like Zephyr so, like, wakes up in the future left, and there's like sunflowers. But it's different. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that's that's definitely the way I'd go. We see, yeah, they they save the world, they fix everything. And then 
Zephyr slash Amalia is talking to Pennant. So they've like they've only just reunited. They've they're both on their separate path, and like the last five minutes of the not the, the episode but of the confrontation, they get together again. And it's almost a death scene as we see Zephyr kind of vanish. Like, oh, you know, we we fixed my future. I never came back. It's all it's all done. Bye. Ugh, dead. Screen cuts to black. Slowly, like, brightens up. We see a picturesque future. Everything looks great. Everyone's happy. And then we just hear kind of some laughter off screen. Camera pans around and you just see sort of uh, Stripe, you know, Zephyr or whatever her name is at that point. Looking really happy and like, oh, it's like, isn't life great? And then you just finish on like her sort of smiling. Like everything is better. I'd, I'd, I'd just love to see like a different future. Like either you'd see like more Galanti or you'd see like, I don't know, something different than what she left off with so that she can find a different version of her. She can move on and, and grow as whatever version of herself we get left off with in this new new world that the Galanti and her were able to save blah blah I mean such like a story ending like soppy story ending but like (laughs) it'd be better either she's going to die and that would be it or like she dies and goes into the future or she stays and the past is what the past is and they make the future together kind of thing there's like those three options only really there is a secret hidden fourth option. What's the fourth option? Everyone dies and darkness wins. Yeah. It'll be like, it'll be Augie, the last survivor. <laughs> and then birds will just fly into the screen and close oh. <laughs> Yeah, that'd be good. I'd, I'd, I'd definitely agree with that. So we have Hugo, Mundy, and Mason's daughter. So Hugo and Mundy plan to confront Mason at his estate. The unexpected discovery of Mason's daughter and her transformation is revealed. What did you guys think of that scene? Hilarious. So Hilarious? Yeah. Skipping over the kind of Hugo, two truths and a lie, accidental confession, just... Mundy is a police officer. He's like a detective. He's meant to be, like, to really know his shit. And then he teams up with Hugo to break into this house. And it's just the most pathetic, ill-thought-out, bumbling plan you could imagine. And, like, it just falls apart from almost the first second they try and put it into play. And there's a ridiculous scene where Hugo's sitting there talking to this poor woman who just wants to get on with her job. And he, he keeps hearing these bumps and thumps. He's like, oh, God, he, Monday's messing us up. I have, to, I have to talk louder for no reason. And then the woman's just like, I'm terrified here because these, this says bumping and thumping. And that's the friggin' locked, the, the touched, locked up in the basement. I've got to try and cover for that. It's like, no one is happy about that situation. And no one really knows. And then it's just, it all falls apart. And then we see a porcupine. And it's like, no, everything here is, everyone here is an idiot. I'm sorry. Did you guys read the book that Mundy was was holding? I did freeze like freeze it and try to like read the frame, and I read that it was like something like finding the cure for the touch that like Mason was probably looking for for his daughter. I couldn't read it too deep. That cursive was was very strong, but it it looked like they were looking for a cure for um his daughter. But to see her in the cellar, like we finally get the reveal from all the bangings and stuff, and to see her just so. I think she's the only one mostly physically, like, full body physically touched that we've seen so far. 
like Primrose is tall, and then we have like the porcupine guy that we saw in this episode. But I think his daughter's the only one that we've been like, wow, can't hide that one. She, yeah. well, she this, definitely uh, needs to be in the cellar. Martin Ford's character, the sort of the, the big fish guy. But I mean, you could throw a cape oh. on him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you'd be, you'd be fine. Like he, like he, he, he was the most physically changed, but not in an inhuman way. Although it was kind of implied he smelled, but a lot of people smell. It's fine. We never, we never seen physical transformation on the level of Masson's daughter, who was like Night King mixed with Darth Maul. It was pretty awesome. I can't lie. She That's a good description. Ass. Yeah. Did you guys uh, did that? Did that thumping thing remind you of that Edgar Allan Poe thing? You know, the heart under the telltale heart. Yeah, telltale hearts. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. And also, sure that girl is not, she's, she's but... going to be like Beast from X Men. Although, hopefully, not current era Beast, who's been a bit of a scallywag recently. He's not been very nice. Yeah, he's not been a very good guy since arriving on Krakoa. But uh, hopefully she will not take that path. Uh, and then, yeah, the last kind of the last big terrifying encounter for the episode was Lavinia's betrayal and Amalia's encounter. Lavinia's scheme involving Augustus and his shocking fate, and Amalia's emergence from the river and encounter with Future Stripe. So yeah, there are a number of ways I could have seen that dinner party and kind of Lavinia versus Augie ending. None of them involved him being carted away in a straitjacket. That was not a clever move from Lavinia. That is going to come back to bite her and everyone. And I feel like this is something she's had planned for a while because all she had to do was make a call. And those were, they were like, she was like, just come. It just, it's, it's fine. We've already talked about this. Just come. And at the end of the party, she was like, look, our guests have arrived. And then they just grabbed him line. like that. Yeah. I thought he was going to use his his touch powers to really just go for Lavinia at that point. Like you you heard the the birds like screaming in the background and as he's being carted away, I really thought he was going to be like, "Well, time to go full evil and take my sister out once and for all." And I would have I would have honestly been happy about it because if he was if what Lavinia has been saying this entire episode is true and from what we've seen like like that scene in the in the underground where he like turns around and he's just like full dark face like Lavinia I don't know what you're talking about I would have oh, loved for him to be like you tried to take me but you failed like and then just overpower Lavinia or like have her be the one in the straight jacket like have, have him like reveal her mastermind plans of like the dead bodies underneath the earth like kind of thing and then fully take over like that would have been amazing to see yeah that would have been a real kind of um ending of godfather one type moment where would have been much better than what actually happens yeah kind of the doctors swoop in and lavinia's like i'm sorry i'm afraid you're leaving now augie and then he's like or am I? And they just walk <laughs> past him and grab her. Like, sorry, lady, you are batshit crazy. We're taking you away. Going to lock you up with all your uh, former experiments. It's going to end badly for you. I'm not going to lie. The reveal that it was Aug- 
that it was actually Augie who paralyzed Lavinia this episode was kind of shocking to me because I the entire time I was like listening to that lie that Lavinia has been giving out that it was like a terrible car crash etc etc but for it to actually be Augie who pushed her because she destroyed his little aviary that was that was pretty crazy for me and he was like it was an accident I was like that didn't look like an accident but (laughs) (laughs) the accident there is that she survived you crazy bastard (laughs) and then when he's like walking back and he's like oh my god what are you doing she could be dead and then he's like or she could be alive like that could be worse (laughs) but I wonder I wonder how he's going to get out and how that's going to change like that would be perfect like into season two Augie getting out the repercussions of that blah 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 but like in two episodes he's either gonna get out next episode and then we'll see what he does from there into like episode 12 that'll be like his final scenes or he's going to be in the asylum for like two episodes and then what Malady reaches her hands out and like picks him up from where she once was like that could also end like that. That could be quite good. There would be a, a good, nice amount of symmetry there. But no, I think uh, you were right about how he'll escape. You're just wrong about the timing. It's not going to be kind of he's being carted away and he's causing the birds. That he's going to be driving away in the carriage, and they're going to kind of get just outside of the house, and the birds are going to swoop in, take out the drivers, and then he's going to leave to be. Because yeah, as as you said, there's there's not enough time for them to really do a decent kind of he goes to the asylum and then comes out arc so just he gets out of the house he escapes yeah and then and like two minutes later outside. like next episode we'll see him see like Lavinia again it'll be like a reversal thing like how he was shocked yeah. to see Lavinia in the house and now it'll be like Lavinia's been so long <laughs> since the party <laughs> exactly, yeah <laughs> oh classic yeah. I I just I I I I hope that there's because I'm assuming that at some point they were planning on on having the mercenaries and the shock troopers and um, the touched in a kind of Avengers Endgame battle on a field somewhere. It, it would have been so. cool to see just an army of birds uh, like flying like, like rain projectiles down. yeah because they all at the end of the day like in the either it's gonna uh, well when would the battle happen it would either have to happen like end of episode 11 start of episode 12 kind of thing which means we're gonna have to bring back all of our players immediately like Amalia's gonna have to figure it out come back we're gonna have to grab myrtle we're gonna have to grab penance from wherever she is we're gonna have to grab like literally every character for us to have that big battle and then end in episode 12. Yeah. Do we know how long the last two episodes are? Mm-hmm. If, if they're yeah, like yeah. 60 to 75 minutes, it's possible. But if they're like 45, we're screwed. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just imagining a big battlescape now and then the kind of the sky gets dark, darker. And then you just see kind of the, the camera pans up and you just see Augie being lowered onto the field by like a big swarm of birds. Like they've got, they've like, he's got his hands out kind of all Messiah style. And there's just a row of birds with their claws sunk into his sleeves, lowering him down to the battlefield. Like, you thought you could lock me up? You're insane. <laughs> Bird strike and 
flying blood. And then you just see like Lavinia in the distance watching him come down with like fear on her face. Yeah. I just wanted to see the sun blotted out by a cloud of birds. That's what I wanted to see. Yeah. That would be amazing. I'm not gonna lie. If we're gonna com- compare them to the Avengers and that Avengers like Endgame speed specifically, I would picture like Bonfire Annie as Captain America with like a glow of fire in her hand as like the sun is and it's like she's like surrounded and stuff and like the sun goes like blacks out and then you just see like the fireball in her hand and Augie just like coming down like I got you it's okay <laughs> that would be freaking amazing no, yeah. Augie would be kind of the Thanos in that situation he, he would totally be there to mess he would not be on Annie's side because he's horrible no, no but he's touched in the end at the yeah, end of the day his yes but at the end of the day his evil right now like his villain right now is Lavinia and Lavinia hates the touched True. so he's going to at the Weirdly enough, I feel like he's going to pull his sister's entire storyline on himself. He's going to pretend to, like, be one of the touch, pretend to be on the touch side to get his sister out of the way. And then once his sister's out of the way, he's going to go back to, like, his evil controlling self that we saw Lavinia do this season. But we didn't, we wouldn't expect would come from Augie. And that's where the big betrayal comes from. Season three. Yeah, that would be way better. Yeah, fair play. I'll give you that one. Okay, and then the episode wraps up with Amalia making her one appearance for the episode. Can't lie, I actually completely didn't realise she hadn't been in the episode until she was in the episode. Walking into a bar because where else would Amalia go? And the bar seems to be stocked entirely with other versions of her, including, woo, Claudia Black. And yeah, that's kind of a, that's a strong place to end. And hopefully the opening scene of episode 11 will be them having a bit of a chin wag and not just repeating the story from last time because we don't need that. My notes for this episode was like, where is Amalia? <laughs> and then for us to finally see her as she goes into the bar, I was like, we don't have time for this. <laughs> we have so many things going on right now. Bonfire is completely time correct. To visit the bar. Why are we drinking? <laughs> I was like, we have a war on the horizon. I was so mad. And then to see like all the different versions of her. What if that was just the end of Amalia? Like, she never came back. Like she just drowned, and that was the end of that storyline? I mean, at this point, how many times have we seen Amalia come out of water as a new or person? Five. Or as, like, yeah. Like, a good half of the last two seasons, if you want to combine these two, we've seen her come out of the water and have, like, a, like a switch up in character a little bit. And either like her character is being pushed forward or she's being like stuck where she still is which i guess if you want to take like a biblical sense she's being like baptized every time she comes back out and same thing happened to molly D this time and she came out as sarah <laughs> it's a definite ongoing theme of rebirth and reinvention in well, this episode, I, but also just the series in general. Okay, so you guys want to talk about themes and symbolism? I feel like we kind of talked about it roundabout, but uh, there's the power of dreams and visions. There's the consequences of revenge, manipulation, power, politics, identity, purpose. You know the 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 regular regular ones. Yeah, the old familiar fables. Yeah. I have a distinct suspicion episode 11 is going to delve quite deeply into the manipulation of power and politics. 
because like it's clear that Masson and his arc is coming to its head and that's going to very much be about him getting that bill passed and we're going to see just how horrifically corrupt the whole system is which we don't really need to be pointed out otherwise you just need to watch the news to see that but it's fine his whole kind of knights of the round table are going to feature heavily and hopefully all be I think it's very interesting that without even fully seeing it on screen we've kind of seen the fall of Lord Mason like we saw the fall of, of of Mundy pretty well and then even the fall of Hugo kind of like from first season to now and then now Lord Mason he doesn't have as much power as what we saw like in the beginning of the episode or even like season one because like there's that scene where he's talking to Lavinia and they were like oh he says oh I they've said I've overstepped my bounds where before you wouldn't think that someone had the audacity to speak to to Mason in that kind of way and then there's that scene which was like a couple episodes ago when he's talking about like the strict eradication of the touched and they were like is this about your daughter and I was like wow (laughs) wait for them to just like push Mason down like disrespect him continuously and I think in episode 11 if he does try to use Lavinia's gift that she's given him to like fully pass the bill I think they're going to use another thing to bring him down either the reveal of his daughter through Hugo now that she's out of the cell either they're gonna lose like control of her or whatever and she's gonna be revealed to the masses and then that that'll happen or it's gonna be like Mason you're crazy like where are you getting these these pictures from like this has to be fabricated I I don't think it's going to go as smoothly as we think it is going to go specifically if you have the orphanage also running to the courthouse now to like protect their whatever words <laughs> trying to like protect their 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 future or whatever so i think i think it's not going to go as smoothly and i think it's just going to put mason in his place even more and i think with his daughter now on the loose and i think he's going to lose his his power i think he's not as strong as we've seen him recently he's definitely taken a few hits in the past that kind of this this half of the season has not been particularly kind to poor old Lord Masson. But I mean, I've kind of referenced this a few times. He is very much just like the embodiment of the establishment. He's old money. He's deep in politics. He's like real governmental type. And one of the themes of this show has really been kind of the end of the old order and the start of the new. So I, I, I do think while I was initially very much thinking that his bill was going to pass and that was going to be kind of the impetus for the, the big the big final showdown you may very well be right in that this is actually going to be the final nail in Masson's coffin and this is going to be kind of the end of the era of kind of old men in old rich men in suits dictating everything and that's all going to just collapse and then we're going to have kind of the Hugos and the Mundys of the world kind of is establishing a new order. Which I mean, that could be true. I, could that be could be like completely true seeing as Hugo's dad is, is dead now. And that was like probably one of the few people Mason really had left on his side. And now if he gets like shown as a mockery 
in court or whatever is going down, then that is the like the last nail in his coffin. And, and at that point, he kind of loses his his cred, his street cred that he used to have. I think his daughter is going to kill him. You think? Yeah, I think his daughter is going to kill him. And I think all of those council dudes are going to see that happen and they're going to get afraid and pass the bill. And, uh, and I think that's going to cause a big war to happen between everybody. And then uh, that's probably the climax. But that's just the easiest prediction to make. Hopefully they throw some twists in there. That, that would make a lot like he, he puts his bill forward and it's like i have pictures look at these pictures they're scary and they're like they're not scary they're pictures you're a moron and he so his bill his bill is defeated and then he, he's kind of leaving in shame gets attacked and murdered by his daughter in front of the full parliament like the house of lords all see one of their own get ripped apart by the touch and they're like yeah okay maybe he had a point let's pass that bill let's let's, let's rectify that and then that causes chaos that would be I mean that that goes that goes into our our theme of seeking revenge because if I was Mason's daughter, I yeah. also would seek revenge for being shut away in a cellar for three plus years at this point, and have your 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 father not even once like acknowledge your existence and instead tell everyone that you've died, and your only friend being like the maid who's basically been rallying for your father not to kill you for the last three years i also thought that scene when he was going to shoot his daughter and couldn't do it and instead was going to shoot her through the closed doors couldn't do it and then instead decided to give like a poison to the servant to give his daughter i was like wow way to cop it out like you had one job if you're gonna kill your daughter like do it yourself man up and, and do it yourself if you're really gonna do it and the fact that she like lashes out and, and pushes her spikes through the door was very nice to see and now she's on the loose with Hugo of all people who could put her into like his little fireman club and now look what's happened although I don't think he would do that though. I don't think he would do that to, to her nah. with the whole father child history that he has like i don't think he would actually do that to lily because he'd probably feel like a more parental like has to protect her after everything kind of thing towards her yeah it'll be a very kind of uh didn't grogu relationship like i've got to protect her guard her through this encroaching mess of nonsense that's about to be unleashed upon the world we actually have a listener's letter for everyone today this is an email from caleb He says, Hey there, podcast hosts. I just had to drop you a line and give you a big shout out to the amazing fan community of the Nevers. I mean, seriously, kudos to them for going all out on the online petition to score a second season. I've been a bit out of the loop lately, so I'm curious. Have you guys been keeping tabs on the numbers of signatures they've managed to rack up? We'll stop there and answer that and then move on to the next part. Um, I have not been keeping up because... I actually missed it the first time and only signed it quite recently, but I didn't. I haven't seen what the numbers up to right now. Have either of you been paying attention to any? I haven't kept my eye on it ever since like I signed it and shared it, and I was kind of like wishing you the best to go, little rock star, uh, kind of moment. But I haven't kept my eye on it. But I wouldn't be surprised if it's still moving up. Yeah, my general philosophy in life is hopelessness. So I don't tend to keep track of anything of that nature. 
funnily enough, that moves quite on handily to Caleb's second question, or the second part of his first question. Anyway, I've been pondering the whole concept of online petitions to save shows, and I wanted to pick your brains on this. Do you think there's a glimmer of hope for the Nevers to find a new home on streaming giants like Amazon or Netflix? I'd love to hear your take on it, and hey, even if that doesn't work out, what do you think about the idea of continuing the story through comic books? Would that be something you'd be down for? And of course, I totally get that the current season's finale might have an impact on the possibilities, but hey, I'm curious to hear your thoughts nonetheless. Firstly, I would believe in online petitions a lot more if any of them actually ever did anything. I mean, I've seen, I've signed so many and I always really hope that this one will pay off. But it, it didn't work for the OA, it didn't work for that other show I signed a petition for. And honestly, I very highly doubt it's going to work for this. Um... I feel like Veronica Mars was brought back, but not because of a petition, just because the fans wouldn't shut up about bringing Veronica Mars back. So they were like, you know what, fine. Just take it. Obviously, the Snyder Cut being a big version, but... I feel I feel like the Nevers was sabotaged because, like, with the whole... Like, we talked about this, like, the first episode. The fact that you can't find the first... The last six episodes. The fact that it was only aired on Tubi for like the randomest time frame that you could choose from from like 11 to 6 and then never seen again and then after that no one really talks about the nevers anymore other than the people that have watched the show and have continued to watch the show so i don't think that it could move on to a different like platform specifically because we didn't even really get the cancellation announcement it was kind of just straight silence and then it was like oh here's the last six had a great time we had our goodbyes from all of the actors and then like that was it kind of thing like, i feel like the actors have like checked out of it i feel like the way the last six episodes have disappeared it's kind of been like this is the end of never it's been fun it's been grand but like we're not gonna pick it up we there's so many theories and ways that it could expand into a different season but i don't think it would actually happen and i feel like the only way that petitions have actually succeeded like if you watch sense eight the only reason we got like the the movie ending was because the the people the fans were rallying and literally spamming netflix and their petitions like every day that Netflix had to come out with like multiple <laughs> announcements being like we did it because of the budget and we were like that doesn't make sense the budget doesn't make sense and then they were like okay well I guess you can have this two hour finale to like curve like the hate that we were getting where now that we have the last six I don't think like another whether it be like Netflix or whatever it would be like yeah let's just pick up where you guys left off by the way we heard you hated the last six episodes let's just like scratch that start (laughs) again give you a brand new season like I don't think it would work the same no I wouldn't be surprised though if they gave it a year maybe two and then we saw a comic come out from it wouldn't be from marvel or dc it would be like image or maybe um is it boom that do the buffy comics i think it is dark horse like, oh they did the original one and there was a new run that just that's still ongoing that i think is on boom oh, okay. um you kind of from one of those companies 
a suspicious it's not called the nevers but it's a suspiciously similar story about people in victorian london who are suddenly developing powers written by was jeden and it just kind of it treads some similar paths and maybe gives us ignores these six episodes because they are non-canon and just kind of gives us a different idea of how things might have gone if more time had been had yeah and i wouldn't be surprised at any of also we don't know like hbo's contract with walden or, or just the show in general of like if they could create more episodes now that it's off the network because i know with netflix i mean they kind of have their own problems right yeah, now <laughs> yeah yeah i don't know how because the nevers is not the only show experiencing this across the entire no. entertainment landscape tv shows are being disappeared like like uh edward snowden's it's just like Disney Plus recently released a bunch of TV shows that were like like the Willow show. Uh, it's gone. Like there's no trace of its existence anymore. You can't find it on Amazon. You can't find it on Disney Plus. You can't buy it, rent it. Where where does all where where do the hours of all of that hard work go? Yeah, it's just gone. That that was a whole thing. Like. Uh- Early, early this year, last year, I know a lot of people were petitioning because a lot of um, like cartoon shows were leaving, and then yeah. people were like, "But we'll never see them again. Where are the hard work?" And then um, writers and producers were like, "This is why we tape everything. This is why you have your own hard copies." And now shows like this are just disappearing, which is so sad. I didn't know you couldn't find Willow anywhere anymore. I was gonna watch that, even though I heard it canceled. It was. I'm, I'm a little bit upset about that being canceled. I thought the first season wasn't great, but it had bags of potential. They like they were setting up to do some good things. I was I was quite upset when that got canceled. Also, with the writer strike now, who knows like how anything's yeah, gonna go? Yeah, all this to say to Caleb, I think you should give up and uh, <laughs> not give just up. Just be sad. No retreat. Just, no just surrender. Just enjoy what you have. <laughs> Yeah. Enjoy what you have. Be happy that we even got a part two. Um, <laughs> True. And like, I don't know if if you do make a comic, Caleb. I'm sure that the Nevers fandom will watch it and read it, etc. So he he wraps up the email that bit I probably should have read at the start, just saying thanks for giving us a space to dive into these topics. Your analysis and insights always keep me hooked. Can't wait to hear what you have to say. Take care and keep rocking. Warm regards, Caleb Mitchell. Thanks for contacting us, Caleb. And sorry for reading that last bit hours afterwards. But yeah, great letter. And I mean, I think he made a lot of good points. And I think we can all agree that we would enjoy more from this universe. But the problem is, I think if you're going to, if for a show to be picked up by a kind of rival, if you could use the term network and kind of move to a new streaming service, there has to be a huge focused concerted push and the nevers just didn't really have the fandom for that there's like there's a handful of people that seem to have really loved the first six sort of enjoyed the second six but there just doesn't seem to be the the real kind of push to get like i can't really see amazon or netflix spending the money really to pick up a vaguely poisoned 
franchise when they could just spend that money developing their own show. I mean, look at the the Warrior Nun fandom. I feel like they've been trending on Twitter at, for yeah, months exactly. now. And their show got canceled how many months ago? And the chances of them actually getting renewed are so much higher than the chances of the Nevers actually getting renewed. And that is with the last six episodes being released in February. So... So, do you have any final thoughts on the episode? We've, I think we've made our feelings pretty clear about this, but is there, is there anything else that you want to kind of put across? Mm, I think this episode... Do you guys like the... How do, well do you guys like this episode compared to, like, the last couple of episodes? Would you say this is, like, one of the best episodes this season or not the best episode this season? I'd mm. say it was a very strong episode. Not sure it was my favourite, but it was definitely... It was a huge step up from, like, the first two, which I found painfully boring. Sorry. But, um... Yeah, it, it was... It was good. Like, I wasn't, you know, jumping in my seat with excitement, but there was no point when I sort of drifted off and wanted to, you know, check my social media. So, that's a plus. Yeah, it was, I think, the the best cookie uh, in in the batch so far, but also the other ones are, like, basically just raw dough. <laughs> so the fact that this one felt edible, I think, made it the best one. I heard episode 11 so is far. really good so far. I have heard that, that's, too. That's what people yeah. have been saying under, like, the comments yeah. for the Twitter page. So I'm really excited for that one. Same. This- I'm looking forward to seeing Amalia emerge from the water again next episode. <laughs> she she has another she has two more episodes to do it at least two more times. <laughs> yeah. So speaking of, do you have other than Amalia emerging from at least one, if not two, bodies of water, what are your predictions for these last two episodes? Um like we said, Augie's probably gonna escape. And go full full evil. Um, I think that I don't I don't know what's gonna happen to Malady. I think she's gonna go back to finding the Galanti and whatever her her mission is for that. Um, and I think that Penance is probably gonna find the Galanti first with Haig and create something to either contain it, harness like, its powers, and a leash like a weapon or I don't know and then we're gonna have a huge war between the purifiers Lavinia and like the shock troopers all that and then the weapon that Penance makes is going to like destroy everything and then we're gonna wake up in the future and it's either gonna be really good or really bad depending on if the Galanti survive or not Hmm. that's pretty fair yep I think we're definitely going to get full Dark Side Augie, who may or may not be redeemed by Penance. We're definitely going to have some weird shit between Penance and Haig, which is going to be fun. I have a feeling Lord Matten's bill is going to pass, but not in a way he expects. And then there's going to be a full-on 15-minute, no-holds-barred sequence of Hugo and Mundy just going to town. I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised. I would... That would be great. <laughs> because this is I would HBO. expect that, actually. 
I'm surprised it hasn't happened already, to be honest. Yeah, the, the last episode is a 45-minute sex scene. Yeah. It's going to be like, Muddy, you never bang, loved bang, me. Bang, and then, boom. Oh, so uh, thank you. Thank you for listening. Uh, we would like to encourage more listener feedback and more discussion. Uh, and we would like, but we would like to discourage hope. I don't, I don't know if we got that across. Um, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and YouTube. Uh, we're also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at HBO The Nevers, and on Twitter at HBO The Nevers Podcast. And um, comments or questions, you can email to theneverspodcast at gmail.com. I would like to thank Taig and Tanisha for joining uh, today, and I would like to invite them to share their socials. Sure. So uh, thank you for having me. It's been a blast as usual. Uh, but you can always find me on all my show- socials at Show Talk Podcast. If you want to send me an email, you can always do it at showtalkpodcast at gmail.com. And on every socials audio site, that's where you could find me the same way where I talk about the nevers and everything else that is sci-fi cool and should not be canceled. DOA. <laughs> Greatest show of the last 10 years. If you want to find me, I am on Twitter at The Hound Reacts, which I really need to change. And then if you want to email me, please don't. <laughs> Always a pleasure to talk Nevers with you guys, and I can't wait to dig into these last two episodes. You think uh, you think Augie would be on Twitter? I feel like the birds represent uh, the all of the tweets. I think it's I think it's an elaborate metaphor. Augie would be on Twitter, but he would be really, really bad at it. And then Hugo would be on Twitter, would be the king of Twitter, and would constantly just troll Augie. <laughs> yeah, I think Pen- Penance would be on Twitter for sure. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that does it. Uh, So thank you for listening and goodbye. This episode of the Nevers Podcast was written, produced, and edited by Matthew at Culture Inject Studios. The intro and outro music was produced by Gilirme Morais. We are more than just a podcast. We're a fan community. You can keep up to date on the Nevers and chat with other fans by visiting hbothenevers.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Just search HBO The Nevers, all one word, and click that follow button. The Nevers Podcast is not endorsed by Mutant Enemy, Warner Media Entertainment, or any of its subsidiaries, including Home Box Office, HBO, and is intended for entertainment and educational purposes only. The Nevers and all names, pictures, and audio clips are registered trademarks and or copyrights of their respective copyright holders. 